We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. I'm super excited for you to, to educate me and to tell me about Memphis and, uh, and teach me a lot about the HD and all of that. So Brittany, why don't you just share with us now a little bit about you, your family, um, your, your children, and then obviously uh, uh, about Memphis. Tell us a little bit about that. I, my name is Brittany. I am 28, almost 29. <laughs> and I have two kids. I have a nine-year-old who has ADHD. And she, at two years old, was diagnosed with von Willebrons. So she had a clotting factor missing in her notes. So whenever I found out I was pregnant with Memphis, we decided that we were going to go get the test done to see if uh, if he was going to have the same uh, disease as his sister. And so we got referred to the high-risk doctor, and we were sitting there talking about it and everything. And I was expecting, you know, they were going to take blood from me. And he said, no, we are going to stick a six-inch needle into your uterus. And he was telling me all of the high risk and everything of doing the procedure and everything. And I was like, well, we can wait till after he is born to see if he has von Willebrons. And they were like, all right. So we go to do our ultrasounds and everything. And we... The first one, they were like, all right, everything's fine and all that. And by my second one, I was 23 weeks pregnant with him. And he looked at me and he goes, he has a heart murmur. And I told him I, that wasn't surprising to me or anything because my mom has a heart murmur. And my nephew was born with a heart murmur, but his closed. And about... The third one, because I had to go in every two weeks to have ultrasounds and anatomies done and everything else because of his heart murmur. And so I went in for my third one and he goes, his right side is bigger than his left side of his heart. So his heart was enlarged. It, the other side wasn't getting enough blood to it. And so we kept monitoring it and everything. We were thinking that it was going to close on its own and all that. Well, I went in for my last one and he goes, all right, so we have two induction dates. And I was like, all right. And he goes, we can induce you on the 22nd of October or we can do it on your due date, which is October which was October 27th, and I was like, we'll do it on the 22nd. So on the 22nd of October, I went in at noon to be induced, and they hooked me up 
and I was having contractions. Did not know I was having them. And the nurse looked at me and goes, you're having contractions and you're at a four. So we were thinking, <laughs> yeah, I was at a four for four months. So four, he could have come anytime he wanted to, but he was playing, staying. He wasn't going to do anything. And so on the 23rd of October, I went from a four to a straight 10, a four at 2.40 in the morning to a straight 10 at 2.50 in the morning. And he was born at 2.50 in the morning on, which is also my birthday. So we share the same birthday and everything. And after I had him, he went to the nursery and everything and all of that. And they also told me that once I got to the room that he had a ASD, he had a VSD, he had a parachute valve, and he also has a valve that goes from his lungs to his heart. And they told me that he wouldn't need open heart surgery until he was probably six months to a year old. Well, he was losing weight. He pretty much didn't want to eat or anything. And so we had to do constant weight checks because with the heart, it's pumping so much that it's burning off everything that you're putting in. And so anytime that he would get calories in him, he would burn them. And so he was also constantly getting sick. So we couldn't do any of his vaccinations. We couldn't do anything because as soon as he's getting over one sickness, he's getting over, he's getting another one. We have had RSV, we've had rhino, we've had, we've pretty much had any virus that a newborn that you would not want to get, he got. He had pneumonia constantly. He had bronchitis. He had everything, which would always end us up in the hospital. And about the time that he turned a month old, we had a... I'm going to cry now. We had a x-ray, which sent us to the cardiologist. And he said that, I don't know if it was pixelated. I don't know if it was because it was an email sent to me, but he is in preterm heart failure. And so being told that your one month old is in heart failure or preterm heart failure is really hard. And he told me that he wouldn't need open heart surgery until he was pretty much, you know, closer to three months. Well, he went from preterm heart failure to heart failure in a month straight. His, his ASD and his VSD were growing instead of closing. 
So we got put in the hospital for failure to thrive because in a 24 hour period, he went from nine pounds and 13 ounces to nine pounds and six ounces in a 24 hour period. We called his, his pediatrician, called his cardiologist and told him that he's not gaining anything. He's losing in 24 hours what he lost. And he said, I'm going to have to make some phone calls, but she needs to go home and get close because he will be admitted until he can gain. So on January 6th, we were admitted to the hospital with rhinovirus and failure to thrive. And about the time we got to the hospital, we had another cardiologist come in there and do everything, the echo, the EKG and all that to make sure that his heart was, you know, okay and everything. And after he looked at it all, he comes in there and goes, he needs open heart surgery as soon as possible because if he doesn't have it, he will not make it the first year. And so we had to get him over the rhinovirus before we could do anything. That is whenever they had to place the NG tube to get him to gain weight. And that was another battle because with the NG tube, it's literally, you have something in the back of your throat. Pretty much it's gagging you. So anytime he would take anything in his mouth or anything through his NG tube, he was throwing it up. And so we were having to fluctuate with formulas, with calories. Pretty much it was a we're going to try it and see if it works. And if not, we're back to square one. And so we got him on a 30 cal formula that he would get fed every three hours through an NG tube. Because we also determined that he was tongue tied and that he was lip tied. Well, I had asked them if they would do anything about that. And they said that they didn't want to do anything about it in case he grew out of it because they wanted to wait until it was something that desperately needed to be done because our main focus was getting him to gain weight so that we could do open heart surgery. We had to wait for his case to go to the surgery board to determine if his case was high enough to need surgery as soon as possible. We had to wait for it to be approved. You're, you're putting your kid's case in the hands of a doctor to determine, hey, he could wait this long or he needs it now. And so that Friday, it went to the board of surgery to determine if it was, if it was a high enough case. And his cardiologist comes in there and goes, we have two options. We can do surgery Monday morning, or we can send you home for two weeks, continue feed, and then bring you back and do open heart surgery. And so I'm the one that has been doing all the decisions. 
and everything. And I pretty much on the spot told him I'm not going to go home for him to get sick again. And then we not have surgery. And then we have to push it back and hope he gets over it before it kills him. And so we, I told him that, and he goes, well, he just got over the rhinovirus. So he's gaining weight, but on a continuous feed and everything. And he goes, you're going to have to stay home for two weeks. If we send you home, you're not going to be able to do anything. And I was like, we're already here. I'm not going to go home. Have his sister sit there and love on her brother and then bring him back. And so I made the decision that Monday morning at five o'clock in the morning, he was going in for open heart surgery. <laughs> Sitting there holding him that day after I made that decision by myself is the hardest thing ever because your guilt sets in of did I make the right choice? Could I have waited? And so with him going in that day, so pretty much his heart, it was working to the point of exhaustion. He wanted to sleep all the time and everything. And so I had to make the choice of blood transfusion. So we did that. And that was a all-day thing of waiting for the blood because they have to go in and make sure they have the right type of blood. They have to go in and retest the blood before they can give it to you. They have to recirculate the blood in everything before they can do anything to it or give it to them or anything. And so that night, it was a very long night of blood transfusion in four hours and seeing if he had a, re a reaction to it. And so once we got past the blood transfusion and got his hypoglycemic up, to the point that his heart could function enough to wait till he had to have his surgery on the 20th. Okay, so I just want just to recap, make sure I've got everything um, in order. You've done a beautiful job <laughs> so far. You really have. You have done a beautiful job. So I just want to be, I just want to make sure I have everything right. So Memphis was born on October 23rd. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so he was born on October 23rd, and then he was never put in the NICU. Is that right? Correct. He okay. was never put in the NICU. We, there was a short period of time that they couldn't get him to cry because it was hard for him because of his heart and everything. And so it took them a while to get him to actually cry or do anything. But of course, he was also a quiet baby. Yeah. He never cried. He never did anything like that because, I mean, 
his heart was working so much that he really didn't have the energy to do anything. Yeah, that's a very good point that his heart was working so hard that I don't have the energy to fight with anybody. Yeah, he he didn't have the energy to do anything. He didn't have the energy to cry. He didn't have the energy to, you know, how a newborn would throw a fit if they're hungry or anything like that. He wouldn't do anything if he was hungry. Go hours and hours or it would take him 24 hours to finish one bottle. Eating would tire him out. Yeah. So when you left the hospital, you were thinking probably in about six months is when we would be coming back to have open heart surgery. Yeah. I was thinking about six months or, you know, hopefully we wouldn't need it. Right. As you say, or maybe it would all close on its own or. That's what we were all hoping is it would close on its own. Yeah. Okay. We were hoping that it would, you know, go in the direction we wanted to, but every cardiology appointment, it was, it's the same. Yeah. It's not doing anything. Not changing. It's not budging. It's not doing anything. By two and a half months old, he was now in, back in the hospital um, suffering from the, I think you said rhinovirus and then failure to thrive. So they're trying to gain his weight and trying to really work on some of that and then also help him get over the illness. Um, and then obviously the heart defect, as far as that goes, they they were ready to do something to help. They, so anytime we go to the hospital or anything or like the emergency room, they have to call cardiologists. We have pretty much said that cardiologist is the big dogs of him. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're the top dogs of Memphis. They're the ones that make any decision. They get to make the decision on treatment plan for. They do. They're the ones that make any decision, any rational decision. Pretty much if we go to one hospital, they better be calling children's. Yeah. Because they have to have children's approval for anything. Yeah. So just before he turned three months old, um, January 20th is when he went in for his full-blown heart surgery. And I, you have already expressed the, the trauma and how hard it was as a mom to feel like you made this decision. This was left up yeah. to me as a parent to say, yes, you are taking my baby away and you are now going to. You're, you're pretty much handing him over to somebody you've only known for a day. To have him stop his heart, put him on bypass, and he'll be in surgery for almost three to four hours with no heartbeat. To hopefully that his heart's gonna restart again. Yeah. After surgery. It's a lot of pressure for a mom to carry. It is. It, it's a lot of pressure for anybody that has to do it. Yeah. Because you're the one that has to sign all the papers. You're the one that has to decide if you want a DNR on your baby. So those were conversations you had with the doctors. DNR, um, kind of all of that was something you talked Pretty about. Pretty much it's conversations that you would wait or hope that you didn't have to do for lots of years, not two months after your baby is born. Yeah. I have a conversation with the doctor being told that you need to make a decision if you want a DNR or if you want us to do three times and stop or if you want us to keep fighting to get him to fight. 
And so it's pretty much you're handed so many papers to sign that you don't know what to think. You pretty much are numb. You can't focus. You can't do anything. What do you remember about that day? What do you remember about the day that he had his surgery? So the day he had his surgery was about five o'clock in the morning. He was the first case. And my mom had my daughter. And I had already been in the hospital for a week. I hadn't seen her for a week or anything. I had talked to her on the phone and everything, but I hadn't got to do anything with her. I didn't got to see her. I hadn't got to do nothing. So I told my mom, I told her what day he was having surgery. And she goes, what are you going to do with her? I was like, bring her with you. And she goes, are you sure? And I was like, yes, I haven't got to see her. I haven't got to do pretty much spend time with her or nothing. And I'm not going to be out of the hospital anytime soon. And so she came, she brought her with and everything. And so she saw her brother and everything before he went back for surgery because I knew she wasn't going to be able to see him after surgery because this was in January, the start of flu season and any kind of virus that you can get that you don't want a heart baby to get, especially in the CBICU. I handed him off and everything and he went in for surgery about six and he didn't get out of surgery until a little bit after noon and I had this was you know before COVID and everything so the playroom was open and everything so I took my daughter there to go play so that you know maybe I could you know not think about it have have my mind somewhere else and not think about it and everything and so I took her up there and once she got tired of doing that and everything, we went to go eat breakfast. And so we did that. And then whenever you go in for a long surgery, like, you know, open heart surgery, you have your own room because you're going to be there all day long and everything. And so we went back to the room and she was coloring and all that. I was trying to sleep which is impossible when you know your kid's heart is stopped that your kid has no heartbeat or anything. So I pretty much tried to keep my mind busy so that I wasn't thinking about what was going on. And also one of the things that also helped is Children's has the Ease app. So every second or every minute we were getting updates on how he was doing, what he was doing, and everything. So that's pretty much kind of what helped some was knowing what was going on in the OR. He gets out of surgery and gets put in his CVICU room, room, recover, and it's hard for any parent to see their kid hooked up to everything known to mankind just laying there and everything and we got him off of sedation we got to 
take the tube out so that he could, he actually wanted to breathe on his own. But it was slowly, and I mean slowly, winging him off of meds, off of pain meds, pretty much anything. And with him, he was, we gave him the nickname of whenever he wanted to throw a fit, was Jack-Jack, off of Incredibles. Yes, because whenever he gets mad, he would turn into Jack-Jack. He, he is the lovable thing. That's pretty special. That's pretty special. Even whenever he turns into Jack-Jack. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so tell me about how long you guys were in the hospital after his surgery. We were in the hospital after his surgery for about two weeks. We spent a week in CVICU because after his heart surgery, he wanted to, you know, run the show. We always say Memphis runs the show, so we never know what he's going to do. And after he had open heart surgery, I think it was a Actually, it was like 24 hours after he had open heart surgery. He's trying to get a fever. And so I couldn't hold him because he's got drain tubes in and he's hooked up to every IV monitor, machine, everything. So I can't hold him. But I would help the nurses, you know, change out sheets and everything, do bed change and all that. And the first time I held him, he wanted to squirm. And he had both drain tubes in and everything. And he's squirming. I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. She looks at me. She goes, do you want me to take it? I was like, as much as I don't want to say yes, but yes. I, I'm afraid. <laughs> because she, she kept telling me, you have to keep him still. You, he can't move. He can't do anything. He has to be still. Or they're going to have to go in and do you know, another drain. <laughs> And so I'm sitting here like this with him, like, uh, what am I supposed to do? And he's trying to wiggle and everything. And I'm like, dude, could, could we stay still? <laughs> it, it was a hard week of the nurse asking you, do you want to hold him? I had to wait till pretty much the day before his other drain tube came out before I would hold him because I was afraid to hold my own son. Yeah, you didn't want to hurt him. I, I didn't want to do anything that would cause him to have to go back into the OR. Right. And I mean, he's got wires down his chest, you know, holding his ribs together because they had to go in and break his ribs to get to his heart. And so it was pretty much like, I'll hold him whenever the drain tubes are out. When I know I'm not going to screw up anything. And so we spent a week in CVICU. And then we got graduated to CV or cardiology floor. And this is how much Memphis is loved. They were kind of coming up with ways to keep him in the CVICU so they didn't have to send him off to cardiology floor because he was the lovable one. He, he's the happy one. Even 
after going through open heart surgery, he was smiling at them all. And yeah. Well, tell me about his recovery. Um, so once y'all went home, what did your recovery look like? Was that um, pretty easy? Um, and maybe some of your follow-up appointments. So our follow-up appointments, we would do the same as we did before surgery and everything. He recovered. He was, you know, the same as he was before surgery. He still didn't want to tell you or acknowledge that he was hungry or anything. And so when we went home, he went home with an NG tube because his heart was recovering and everything. And we didn't want to put the extra pressure on him of having to take a bottle. He would take a bottle, but we would give him a time frame of how long he would take the bottle until he was switched over to the pump. With that, he was also tongue-tied and lip-tied and everything. So he didn't want to latch onto anything. And so it was mainly, you know, every three hours around the clock continuously, it was feeds. With the NG tube, I kept fighting for the G tube because once again, something down your throat, irritating your throat and literally in your stomach. And it would cause him to throw up. And when I say throw up, it was exorcist. Everything that he would take in would come right back out. About the last time he got sick, because once again, he didn't have any vaccinations. He couldn't get any shots because he was recovering from open heart surgery. And recovering from open heart surgery takes about six weeks. And so he kept getting sick again. And this time it was, we couldn't figure out what it was. Everything would come back normal except for his white blood count. There was one little thing. He had microplasma pneumonia. And so we were in the hospital and we were doing his feedings and everything. And after his feedings, he would throw up. We even had a nurse try to get him to eat by bottle and he wasn't having it. And then she sat there through the whole feed. And after his feed, he threw up. And I looked at the doctor and I told her, and I was like, we're not leaving here until there is a referral put in for a G-tube. She told me, she goes, well, we're going to call his pediatrician and see if we can get a referral in. About the time she left that door, I was already on the phone with his pediatrician telling him we needed a referral put in for a G-tube. That referral was signed in 24 hours because... Wow. So does he have a G-tube a then now? Yes. Okay. He, he still has a G-tube. We went with the, the NG-tube from January to May. So this month makes a year that he has had the G-tube and everything because that, this is about the time that we had it put in because, I mean, it's a lot different than seeing something in your kid's nose with tape covering half their face because with him being so small, it would take up half his face. So said, he's had the G-tube for a year now? Yes. So you actually were going through all of this in the middle of a pandemic. I remember sitting 
in a hospital room with Memphis and everything and them talking about the coronavirus. And I looked at his nurse that was in there at the time. And so I was like, you know, it's never going to make its way here. You know, we're never going to have it. So the G-tube actually was placed then during uh, the coronavirus. Yes, Ooh. it was. And so with that, and then, you know, having the start of corona come out and everything, it kind of makes you think because he was constantly sick. He had the white blood count of an adult, but everything else came back normal. Interesting. He had fevers constantly. He still has fevers and everything because his body or his heart isn't regulating his temperature. So he'll have like low grade fevers and everything because, you know, his heart isn't doing what it's wanting to do. Memphis is now starting to want to run the show again. With him after his open heart surgery, he was at 120 awake. Now he can go from 54 to 200 for his heart rate. Wow. And it, it's pretty scary whenever you have, you know, you're getting your vitals taken for your doctor's appointment and everything. They hook him up and literally right off the bat, it was 200. And he was sitting still in my lap. Wow. And so we waited five minutes to check it again. And it was 74. And then we were like, all right, let's check it again. And it went right back up to 200. So he is starting to run the show again. But we don't know what he's doing yet. Okay, well, that was going to be my next question. So so what are they telling you are the next steps? So, so far, his EKG and his echo all come back the same. He still has the parachute valve. He still has the valve from his lungs to his heart and everything. Pretty much, we don't know what the next steps are because Memphis is running his show as he did with, you know, preterm heart failure and heart failure and all that. So at this point, we don't know what he's doing or anything because we keep getting different things. One monitor will tell us that he's 200 or so, and then it'll drop to 54. And so we don't know which direction he's going because he used to rest at 120 whenever he would be awake. Now he rests at 54. And when he's asleep, it drops too. So he is, his heart rate is all over the place. And we went to go see a new doctor or get a new chart with the citizens of Potawatomi and Shawnee. And the doctor was sitting there listening to his heart and everything. And she looked at the nurse and goes, have you listened to his heart? She goes, yeah, I did whenever he would let me. And she goes, it sounds cool. I've been told that his heart sounds like a washing machine. Okay, well, tell me about the resources that have been made available to you for CHD and some of the heart complications that you've experienced. The resources that have helped me, Mended Hearts of Oklahoma. It's Mended Little Hearts. So it's, it's a group that's also on Facebook that they all have 
kids with CHD. And I mean, I have learned that there is not just an ASD or a BSD or a parachute. There's kids that have half a heart or they have something else. That's also helped me. And it also helps a bunch of other parents that have to go through open heart surgery because they are an organization that also puts together the uh, hope bag. It's pretty much a bag that has everything that you're gonna need for being in the hospital and everything. And so that's what helped me because I was doing this by myself at the hospital. I didn't have my mom up there with me. I didn't have anybody up there with me. You're learning everything as you're going. You're doing constant doctor's appointments and sitting there just, you know, soaking it all up and everything and everything. And so I had also found out about the Hearts of Hope organization. And one of our heart moms, she does it for her son and everything. And she was like, you need to look into it and everything because she has, you know, other kids that are left out of being, you know, doctor's appointments and everything like that. And so I had filled out the paperwork on the internet. I got a phone call maybe three days later of what can we do to help you? The ones that started it also started it in honor of his brother who passed away from something that they had doctor's appointments and everything every day air hospital stays constantly and so they know what it felt like to be a medical sibling and with me having a nine-year-old she knows how it feels she's left out of everything she she doesn't get anything she doesn't get to go anywhere or anything like that because with COVID and everything Bobby can't get it it'll get him sick and it'll be another hospital stay I told him a little bit about Memphis and about her and everything that was going on and all that. And they didn't hesitate to help. They went shopping that week, sent her, you know, a gift basket or a gift bag of, you know, toys and clothes and everything that, you know, so she wouldn't feel left out so that she knows that there's people out there that think of her as they would do Bubby. You know, she, she got felt treated as she was special too, not just Bubby. And like, if you need help or anything, if you've got, you know, animals or anything like that, you just have, I just have to text them and be like, hey, we're in the hospital. Could you, you know, possibly have somebody come and do, you know, feed the dog, walk the dog or something like that. And so it helps out a lot because it takes a lot of stress off knowing that you have somebody that is there to do or help you when you need it. When your hands are tied and you're in the hospital and you don't know what to do. They're not just for heart families. They do every disorder, cancer, anything and everything. They're ones that help with any medical family 
that has a diagnosis or anything like that because you know Truly that peer-to-peer is an education all in itself as far as providing those supports. So that's fantastic. And so it's pretty much on top of learning everything about CHD, you're also having to learn everything about gastral tubes, feeding tubes and everything else. And we went in for a, a scope of his stomach and we found out that he has inflammation of the stomach. He doesn't have acid reflux. Hmm. His stomach is lined with inflammation. And with the G-tube, it's now causing it to leak. Hmm. So the inflammation is trying to escape, which we've actually had it burn his skin because it leaks. And you sit there and explain to a doctor that has never done a feeding tube for a baby, has never heard of feeding tubes for babies or anything that your kid has. I mean, I can go to the Chickasaws and I'm pretty much having to explain to them what he has, what's going on and everything. I have a notebook, or I actually can't say a notebook, a binder that is this thick, full of everything that his cardiologist or a doctor has said, the day he has been admitted, the day he has surgeries, what medicines he's on and everything. And every time we go for, you know, either a surgery, have to go to the emergency room, you can't just grab a diaper bag and him. Right. You have to grab a diaper bag, a feeding bag, uh, make sure you have enough feeding bags, make sure you have enough food for him to eat. You have to have the pump. You have to make sure you have the feeding tube and you got to make sure you have syringes that are going to feed it or fit it because the hospital will not have it. I have actually had a nurse, which she knows Memphis and everything. And she had a trains, training student with her. And this nurse, the training student waited. So she walked out of the room to ask her and she goes, I didn't want to ask her because I didn't want to be rude or anything, but what's wrong with him? And that nurse turned around, walked back from the door and she goes, she felt uncomfortable asking you. And I was like, as soon as I heard she felt uncomfortable asking you, I knew exactly what they were going to ask because I mean, I get asked all the time and she goes, She wants to know what's wrong with him. And I thought the best person to explain it, since you know everything about it, would be you. And so I told her what was wrong with him. I told her that he had open heart surgery at two months old. He has a parachute valve. He has a valve that goes from his lungs to his heart. He has a feeding tube and pretty much everything. I was like, he has CHD. And she goes, what's that? I was like, it's a congestible heart defect. I was like, he was born with a messed up heart. His heart isn't like mine and yours. His isn't fully developed pretty much. I was like, he was born with half his heart bigger than the other half. 
he was in heart failure at a month old and congestible heart failure at two months old. And she was like, how do you know all this? I was like, I live it. You live it and you are an expert in it. I live it. I do it 24 seven, 365 days of the year. I mean, CHD doesn't give you a vacation. CHD doesn't be like, oh, you get this day off or you get that day off. No, it's 24 seven. It's every day of every second. CHD has no cure. CHD is pretty much doctor's appointments, medicine, surgery, hope that, you know, they're going to beat it and hope that they're not going to lose it Wow! because it, it's a battle. It, it's a fight that we do every day. I wasn't prepared for it. Wow. So it, it's, it's stressful. Yeah. Well, and, and I like what you said when we began this, that CHD did not come with a handbook. It, it, it doesn't come with a handbook. Just like any disease or diagnosis you're not handed a handbook you're not handed here's what you've got read up on it and everything else it's pretty much a learning experience yeah thrown in you're not eased into it or anything it's right there yeah there's the deep end Brittany, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. This was very, this was enlightening for me as a mom who does not have a child with CHD. So I appreciate you sharing um, Memphis with us and educating all of us in that area. You're welcome. Oh my goodness. He, he is a, he's a ball of fire. He sounds like. He, well, he's 18 months old, but he's 10 months corrected because yeah. we're, we're still stuck at 21 pounds. Yeah. So we're wow. 21 pounds and 30 inches tall. Wow. So we, the, also the other downfall of CHD is it pretty much, we think that open heart surgery has stunted his growth. Yeah. So we're, we're fighting with that and yeah. hopefully we get more answers whenever he turns two. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271 5072.